Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege of having a God who speaks to his people. We're not left fumbling in the dark trying to work out who you are, whether you're involved, but you have told us clearly. Uh, We can know your work in time and history. We can know that you are engaged now. And so, Father, we, we pray tonight that you would continue to be at work in your people here. Please encourage us. Please challenge us by your word. Please take us out from here, knowing more of Jesus and loving him more as a result. And in his great name we pray. Amen. Will you you join us at the start of a new series? Uh, We've been looking at partnership in the gospel with Philippians, and as Andy mentioned earlier, we're now doing uh, a new kind of four-week series looking at God's mission. Uh, We're going to start today by looking at God's mission to the end of the earth. We're going to see next week God's mission to the Jews, then God's mission to creation, and finally, God's mission to the poor. But we, we jump in with this passage in Acts today. But if, before we do that, I wonder, what are you like with planning? As some of you will know my, my wife, Claire. Claire and I are quite different when we go on holiday. I'm happy just to turn up at a hotel and let's just see what happens from there. We'll, you know, we'll just turn up and then we'll just take things one step at a time. Claire, on the other hand, needs a full breakdown of exactly what's going on, what is going to happen. Kind of for weeks before, and there'll be little bits of paper, little lists that appear around our house. Lists reminding us of all the other lists that are are around our place. Lists with what we can do, lists of places we can eat. And then we'll we'll turn up at this hotel, we'll put our bags down, and suddenly this big kind of document will fall out on the bed of all the things that we've got lined up. This is where we're going to go, this is what we're going to do, this is what time they open, this is the best place to get pizza, whatever it is, this... There's a full breakdown. Claire loves to plan our holidays to make sure that we make the most of them. And what about when you, you go on a journey? Uh, when I was uh, growing up, sat-navs didn't exist. I may look like a, a, you know, a young baby, but I've, um, sat-navs didn't exist. And so my, my dad would always kind of get a map out to plan. Do you know those, kind of, I think they still sell them, those big AA yellow kind of map of Britons that you always see in service stations. There's always loads there because no one buys them anymore. But my dad would sit down for, for days before and write, okay, which obscure B road do we need to follow to get to this obscure little village that we're staying in on holiday? Because once we're in the car, he needs to know where we're going. There has to be a plan to get to our final destination. Or, or think about it a, a, different, a different way. Before I came to study at Oak Hill, I, I worked in, in business based up in Sheffield. And every year we'd spend, as a team, we'd spend hours and hours and days and days planning our strategy. Where, it is, where is it as a business we want to be by the end of the year? Kind of meetings were arranged, conversations were had, long documents were written. We needed a plan to know where we're going. Yeah, companies will often spend hundreds and hundreds of hours and hundreds and thousands of pounds crafting some neat little statement to describe the mission of the organization. Because people need a sense of direction for the future. Well, it shouldn't surprise us that as we turn to Acts 1, well, it turns out that God's got a plan too. He's not just kind of arbitrarily bumping from one idea to the other, surprised by how the world seems to be turning out. Acts tells us he has a clear mission, and the book is kind of a window into what God is doing in his world. And it's written for the benefit of a people not there at the time. It's like Luke, the author, is rolling out this map for us to see more and more of what God's mission is. And hopefully we'll see tonight it's a mission 
that each person of the Trinity is intimately and deeply involved in. Acts is a book about what God is doing in his world. So if there's one thing you take away from tonight, if there's one thing just to, to hook onto, it's this. That God has a mission and he will bring it about to completion. For as God has a mission and he will bring it about to completion. And we're going to see that in three areas, three areas that are on your, your handout and see that the mission of Jesus is complete, that the, the Father's mission, the Father's plan is certain, and thirdly, that the Spirit's mission is now. Look down at verse 1 with me. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do and teach. See, Luke picks up by reminding his readers, his hearers, of where he's already been. Because Jesus is the starting point, what Jesus has already done. So he wants to, to remind us of this because it's the starting point from which everything else will come. Kind of Luke expects his readers to remember what's come before. Acts is, is written by the same guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke. It's kind of like volume two of the same story. So he picks up where he's been and he expects his hearers to just kind of remember some of the storyline. I mean, how could they forget because this guy called Jesus has rocked up in the Middle Eastern world and shaken it to the core. Crowds have followed him. He seemed to do the miraculous with ease. But more than that, this guy made big claims about himself and about his future. If we think back to, to Luke's first volume in chapter 18, uh, we have these words recorded for us. Jesus took the twelve, his disciples aside, and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. But on the third day, he will rise again. So Jesus' claim throughout the pages of Luke's first gospel was of a man on a mission. His fate set towards Jerusalem. A mission to fulfill all that the prophets had promised, but a mission too that involves his murder ultimately on the cross. But his mission, I'm sure this isn't a plot spoiler, his mission didn't end there. Jesus' claim was that his mission wouldn't end there too. While the cross was certainly the place where he would pay the penalty for our sins, where he would substitute himself for us, he promised a resurrection too. He would certainly die, but death would not be able to hold him. On the third day, he tells his disciples, he will rise again. And so Luke kind of picks up the story again. Look down in verse 3. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. See, just as he'd promised... Jesus here presents himself alive, giving many convincing proofs that he was. Now, I don't know where you, you come from to, to church this evening, uh, whatever your background might be, wherever you currently sit in your thinking about Christianity. Uh, wherever that is, it's, it's wonderful to see you here. But I guess we all come from, from different places. Some of us will read this and we'll be somewhat sceptical of it. 
Now, some of us will read this and you'll call yourself a Christian, and this is wonderful news. But whatever you think, whether you call yourself a skeptic or a believer, these verses call for our attention. They demand something from us. And so I wonder if you, if you would say you're, you're, you're a skeptic, you're, you're just not sure about this guy, Jesus. Well, note a few things. Because Luke, the author here, is like a medical doctor. I mean, there's, there's doctors among us here. Doctors are generally pretty good at telling people, at telling the difference between someone who's dead and someone who is alive. If they're not, they probably shouldn't be a doctor. Luke here is a medical doctor. He knows the difference between a dead man and a live man. And yet here he is, convinced that a dead man has come back to life and writes of many convincing proofs. More than that, this wasn't just a one-off. This wasn't that Jesus turned up for kind of some miraculous 20 minutes. 40 days, a sustained period of over a month, this man is walking around, shaking people's hands, eating dinner with them, talking with them. I mean, skepticism in many ways is a, is a wholly appropriate response to what we see sometimes. Dead people just don't come back to life. It doesn't happen. But we've got to do more than that as well. We need to, before we hold on to that too much, we need to weigh the information before us. Any skepticism must fall into line with the information Luke here and many others have recorded. We need to deal with these claims of sustained appearances in which physical evidence is given Handshakes were made, food was eaten, walks were had, conversations took place. See, this is a very real man that Luke presents who did very real things, who really rose from the dead. Well, maybe you're, you're here this evening and you'd call yourself a Christian. Well, for you, brothers, sisters, notice a few things too. That this isn't just a random occurrence. Jesus here is doing exactly what he said he would exactly what he said he would and so when he speaks we need to listen more than that when he speaks we can trust that he will continue to do what he says he would so when our our guilt raises its head and that little voice questions our standing before God we can trust that Jesus's work on the cross did what he said it would when life is difficult we can trust Jesus's promise to never leave us or forsake us Because everything that Jesus promised, he accomplished. And so on the pages of Acts, we meet a man who always keeps his word. Jesus had a mission. And he did bring it to completion. But as we, as we follow the story through a little bit more, just as God the Son's involved, we see that God the Father's turned up on the scene too. He's the one who promised the Holy Spirit in verses 4 and 5. And he's the one who controls the timetable too. Did you notice that in verse 6? I mean, somewhat understandably, I think, the, the disciples see what Jesus has done and they kind of expect him to call time on things. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus has been talking about the kingdom of God back in verse 3. And they assumed that this was the point in which all of these Old Testament prophecies would come true. Jesus would step up to physically overthrow the Romans to restore a united Israel. They think that Jesus' mission is completed on the cross and so they've worked out the next move. The Father's plan, however, seems to be much bigger. Yes, this decisive victory has been won, 
But the Father has a glorious saving plan for all of the nations. So he longs more and more for more and more people to be brought into his family, for more to receive the benefits of his son's work. And so the disciples are told, it is not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority. God has a plan. And I think we often, we often wrestle with this in different ways. I wonder if, like me, you've, you've sometimes wondered why God hasn't called time on this world yet. When we look around and we see the pain and the depression and the struggle and the suffering, do you ever wonder why God just doesn't kind of blow that final whistle now that the cross has made salvation possible? Well, I think this passage helps us because it makes it clear that it isn't that God isn't in control. It isn't that God doesn't have a plan. It's quite the opposite. God does have a very clear plan. It's just that his mission His plan is often much, much bigger than ours. Uh, Think about it in in a different way. Most Saturdays I play rugby uh, for Saracens, not the the really good Saracens, like the amateur Saracens. Um, And we've got kind of an electronic scoreboard on the side of the pitch, which is great. The problem is, whilst it tells us the score, it doesn't tell us the time. So we know we're being thrashed, we just don't know how long we've got left. (laughs) Um, we know that the end point will come at some point. It, I mean, it has, every time we know, you play for 80 minutes, we, we know that that end point will come, but we just don't know where we sit. We don't know whether there's one minute to go or 79 minutes. Well, we do, it's, we've had half time. We don't know whether there's one minute or 39 minutes. We know the referee knows. He's got at least two watchers that are telling him. The game will go on until that 80 minutes hits. There is an end time that's been set. We just don't know it. But we can trust that the referee does, because every time it finishes. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, will write a little bit later, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Instead, he is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, the Father is still calling people to repentance here and now. He's still granting, he's still appointing people to eternal life. He's still in the business of opening people's hearts and minds with this great news, with this glorious news of the gospel. The only reason why this world keeps spinning, the only reason why that final whistle has not gone, is because the Father has a plan. The Father's plan is certain, he will bring it to completion. He has set the dates and the times. So we've seen that Jesus has completed his mission. We've seen then that the Father has given the resources and set the times. Now let us see how God's ongoing mission is going to be worked out because the Spirit's mission is now. We see the the Spirit's come up several times, the third person of the Trinity, verses 2 and verse 5. He's come up several times as kind of Luke rolls out this map for us to see what God is doing in his world. But in verse 8 we get a bigger picture of his role. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I wonder if it's helpful just as we reread that message to recognize that Jesus here is speaking specifically to his apostles, 
It's a kind of a role that, that doesn't exist anymore. Is these 11 guys here will go to 12 guys. It's specific to them, but kind of the call rolls out beyond them. Acts is the storyline of this baton being handed on and on. In fact, by the time, if we look down to verse 14, we already see that when they meet to pray and think about this mission, Jesus' mother's there, Jesus' brothers are there, there's more people being involved already. This baton is being passed on to generations of faithful men and women. But the point of verse 8 is this, that God will empower his people with his spirit to tell his world. Far from the cross being the end of God's plan, it's, it's in many ways it's the catalyst for God's plan going global. It's not a secret message for a few people. It's an explosive message that will go to every corner of the world. You'll see on the, the back of your, your handout is a, just a, a helpful little diagram which just helps us to, to see part of what this looks like. And you'll see that Israel is so small that the, they've kind of blown it up here a little bit so we can see the picture. And we just see the, the geographical progression of how the gospel goes out in these first years. You will be my witnesses in, in Jerusalem, where the disciples are right now. The message needs to go to their neighbours, to their friends who live around the corner. But more than that, you'll be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria. I mean, this is, this is really significant for the, for the Jewish people at the time. You've got that in history... You've got the, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Julia, and they've split. Some have been assimilated through the Babylonians. They've, they've gone all over the place. Jesus here, well, the spirit here is fulfilling this promise to unite this kingdom of Israel under one Davidic king. All of these Old Testament promises are coming true here, but it's bigger than that as well. The gospel is a global call that Jesus says will go to the ends of the earth. We saw earlier in, in Isaiah, hundreds and hundreds of years before, that God had foreseen this, God had foretold this. And so here we see the beginning, again, of that fulfillment, that he always keeps his word. He has a plan, and he will bring it to completion. And so while we see the message in, in Acts 1, by the time we get to Acts 28, the gospel has gone all the way up the coastline to Rome, all the way around to the far left-hand side of your map there. It's gone 4,000 miles away in 30 years. Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Macedonia, Philippi, Thessalonica, Athens, Corinth, Ephesus, Malta. These are all the different steps in Acts' kind of progressive storyline. The gospel keeps going out. It's too big to be held in one place. And so I wonder, just as we, we look at that, there's a few things to notice. Now, first of all, it's the, it's the spirit who inspires and enable God's mission to succeed. It's God's mission, and God will see it through to completion. I think I often read this, and we often read this, and immediately we think about what we have to do. And certainly we do have a role, but the, the thrust of this passage is that it's God's mission. He will resource it, he will enable it, he will make sure it comes to fulfillment. Yes, God absolutely involves us in his plan, but it's him who provides the power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So before our heads start to drop, before we decide we're too busy, we're too underqualified, before we reach for that book of excuses, let's remind her who, is it, who it is that's empowering this call. 
God will complete his mission and he'll even do it using people like me and people like you. There's an American pastor called Mark Dever who who writes this. The, The success of God's mission for taking his message all over the world will not be done without Christian workers. But in a very important sense, it's not left up to us. God will accomplish his mission through us yet he is in no way dependent on us. It is God's mission, and he will complete it using his Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who empowers and enables this mission to succeed. Now, secondly, you will be my witnesses. If it's the Spirit who inspires and enables, there's still a call here to be witnesses. We're to witness to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. I used, to, I used to work for an organization called UCCF. We prayed for some of their work earlier with the Christian unions. And they have a kind of a hoodie that we used to get given that said, living and speaking for Jesus, uh, just across the shoulders. And it was brilliant. It was the warmest jumper I owned. So I used to wear it all the time. But the problem with that is that it was kind of dodgily screen printed across the back. So after a while, the letters started to peel. And after a couple of years, it just said kind of, the U dropped out. So it, after it just said, living and speaking for Jess. Now... <laughs> Jess might be lovely, but she's no saviour. It's just a subtle difference makes it, makes it kind of a, a big change, doesn't it? We're to be witnesses, but not just to, to anything or anyone. We're to be witnesses to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. I was we've been reading at college this week about some, how they, what this looked like in a rather unexciting period of British history if you go back to the 18th century when gospel living was pretty vague at best and there was an author that described what it looked like for people to work this this passage out that just really encouraged me so let me read that to you now gospel living in the 18th century began tenuously in the unheralded and often obscure ministries of a few devout and energetic men and women And it continued through much of the 18th century to consist of little more than scattered groups of individuals. It was made heroic not by the magnificence of its onward surge, but by the sacrificial, dedicated lives of a small dispersed dispersed band of people who lived and preached Christ to the best of their ability. See, the narrative of Christian history is not of great men and women doing great things through their own great strength. but of a great God working powerfully through normal, weak people to proclaim this great message to the ends of the earth. Because the Spirit's mission is now, and he will bring it to completion. Well, as we, as we, we move on, let me just draw through a few things together. Uh, let us think about how that impacts us now. And I think there's, there's three ways for us tonight that this kind of starts to make a difference. Uh, The first is for us to see that the foundation for everything is the work of Christ. That's how Luke starts this narrative. All All that Jesus began to do and teach. He takes us right back to what Jesus has already done because it's that message that drives everything forward. 
The motivation for gospel living and speaking now is the work that has already been completed. And so, brothers, sisters, that means we need to know it well. That means we need to hear this gospel of grace regularly. We should never move on from it. And part of the, there's a, a chapel at Oak Hill and there's a, on the lectern, there's just a little kind of speech bubble about here. And just stuck on it is this message that just says, Sir, we would see Jesus. Because every time someone gets up in that pulpit, we want to see nothing other than Jesus. So that means every time that Andy or Ross or whoever gets up to stand here, we must demand that we see nothing but Jesus. We must encourage them, exhort them, pray for them to teach us nothing but this glorious gospel. We must remind and encourage and exhort them to do so. So we would see Jesus and him alone. Week by week, our plea as a church family must be that the scriptures are open and we are so captivated by this glorious gospel of grace that our lives cannot help but overflow to take this message out. Wouldn't that be a great thing to pray for the people leading and teaching us in this church? The only way we will do this is if our hearts are captivated by this glorious gospel of grace. And I guess for us that means that it means much more than just giving intellectual assent. It means much more than just accepting that these are a few nice truths from history. It means crying out for this glorious gospel of grace and letting it impact us. The way we think, the way we feel, the way our wills drive our actions. Because being a witness to anything else is utterly worthless. Now, secondly, I think it means that we can trust God as one who always keeps his word and always fulfills his promises. That's what we've seen continually throughout this passage. God promises something and he brings it to completion. He says he's got a plan and guess what happens? We can trust that even now he is seeing his plan through. He is still in control of this world. And so we can trust him. I think the, there's a certain fragility that our, kind of our postmodern world throws at us, throws at our faith that we need the Bible to shore up sometimes, to give us confidence in who our God really is. But our God here is one who has a mission that he will bring to completion. So we need to remember that the foundation is Christ. We need to remember that we have a God who always keeps his promises. And thirdly, finally, we, we need to remember that we're called to be involved. Resourced and enabled by the Spirit with a message of Christ, we're called to be involved. Friends, don't believe the cry of the world to shut up and keep this message to yourself. Because the cry of Acts is that God has a plan, that he is at work in this world, that he has not walked away, that he longs for more and more people to hear this good news. Uh, the American pastor John Piper wrote, we are not idiots without a cause. We are not idiots without a cause, but ambassadors for the king. Our God is at work. He does have a plan. He will bring it to completion. And he'll do it even using people like us.
So I wonder as, as we close, what does this look like for you and me? In many ways, it'll be a very personal answer, but I think there's a few things that we can, we can draw out as well. Uh, it might be taking advantage of Christianity Explored to think it through. We've still got about 24 hours until it starts. You are all going to meet someone who doesn't know Jesus within the next 24 hours. You're going to have a neighbor around the corner. You're going to have the person at the desk next to you. You're going to have the, the kind of John from down the street who's walking his dog when you're running through the park. Wouldn't it be a great thing to invite someone along to this? If, if you'd like to go and don't know anyone you'd like to go with someone, I'll go with you. Just come and grab me. I'd love free food at the Palmer's. That's... <laughs> but wouldn't it be a great thing to do? You've got the, on, on the back of this, it's the Halloween light party for our, our kids, for our neighbors who have children. What about praying for our mission partners? Those who are in different parts, trying to work this out just as we are here. But just as we are here, what about connecting with the, the mission teams at the church? I mean, Hattie's sitting here. I'm sure Hattie would love to speak to you to, to get some of your ideas as she heads up some of the work there. We've got such a glorious gospel of grace. Wouldn't it be great to get involved with what God is doing? Because his spirit promises to resource and empower us. Friends, God has a mission. He will bring it to completion. And he'll do it even using us. As I, as I close, there's two questions at the bottom there that would just be, be great for you to take away and think through. Maybe as you sit and have breakfast with your spouse tomorrow morning. Maybe as you talk with your children. Maybe with the person sitting next to you tonight. Wouldn't it be great to think those through? and work out kind of where the rubber hits the road for you. What difference does it make to know that God has a mission and that he will bring it to completion? And secondly, how can I, how can we partner with God in his mission? And what would that look like practically? Let me pray, and then Alex will come and lead us. Father, please captivate our hearts with your gospel of grace that we cannot help but live and speak of it. Father, thank you that you have not walked away from this world, but you have set the times and the dates. And you have done so because you long for more people to hear the good news of your son and to turn and respond. Father, we confess that we often struggle with the things you call us to do in this world, but help us to remember you are the God who empowers it and you do it through normal people in normal ways. Now, please, would you show us what that looks like? Would you encourage us by the work of your spirit and would you send us out to proclaim the news of your son? In his name we pray. Amen.